New Year, but as 2022 kicks off, the big issues on the local and global economic front are all too familiar. As the Omicron wave begins to subside, the risk of new variants looms large. Pandemic-induced inflation and supply chain disruptions may not be as short-lived as some expected. Plus, with the global economic recovery now in full swing, oil prices are likely to remain on the roller coaster. Closer to home, electricity shortages remain a binding constraint on economic growth. With unemployment at dire levels, the need for private sector investment and state spending on productive infrastructure has never been greater. But it's not clear how long the commodity boom is going to boost state coffers. What does all of this mean for you, your business and your money? This is no ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at events and trends, moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. I'm Jeremy Max. We'll start this podcast by asking Investec Chief Economist Annabel Bishop if the tide will turn this year for the South African economy. Then what's in store for the rest of the world? Will continued global productivity spur higher inflation? And how will policymakers and markets respond? Investec UK economist Sandra Horsfield is going to shed some light. And finally, after surging early in the year, oil prices hit another slump as Omicron took hold. We'll ask Investec UK Head of Commodities Callum McPherson if we should brace for more turbulence in the year ahead. Investec Chief Economist Annabel Bishop, welcome to our first episode of 2022. And I want to start with this. Last year was bleak, but not all bad news. The year ended with Fitch removing its negative outlook on South Africa and government further easing lockdown restrictions despite the Omicron wave. So very broadly, what can we expect from the South African economy this year? What are you looking out for? You know, Jeremy, uh, I'm quite cheered by the fact that South Africa's got over its fourth wave so quickly. And of course, that's been, um, if you weren't formally said, by government. And of course, you know, we're finding ourselves in a situation now where restrictions are extremely light. And of course, the fact also as well that Omicron is proving to be such a mild variant for South Africa. Obviously, other countries are taking it a lot more seriously here. We think of China and, you know, the severe impact that they're having on their economy. And, of course, also not to forget what's happening in the United States. But, you know, if we look at South Africa, I think there are some reasons to be certainly positive, you know, compared to what we saw last year and the year before. We're not anticipating further severe lockdown restrictions this year. But that said, of course, you know, there is a warning that the pandemic is not over and that, of course, we may be blindsided by an unexpected severe variant. Let's hope not, but one which obviously evades vaccination protection that we get. I think that's not expected that it's a risk and the scientific community has highlighted it. I think, you know, what we expect for 2022 is economic growth around 2%. We're actually going for 1.8%. I think some of our worries that we still take in the weakness from load shedding into the year. And of course, you know, very little has been done recently to change that. We're also looking to see two units of our nuclear power producer coming offline for servicing, which is necessary. That will add strain to the burden as well. We are expecting to see substantially stronger fixed investments in the next few years, certainly from the energy sector. And that, of course, includes the renewables. But they're not going to be quick enough for this year. In our conversations last year, Annabel, we discussed, didn't we, the importance of implementing positive and strong structural reform. Have we made any progress? And what are you looking out for in that respect in 2022? 
don't feel we've made much progress at all, Jeremy. You know, I feel that most of the progress has been talk and, of course, committee forming, forums, meetings, etc. Look, I mean, we, everyone points to the 100 megawatt relief for um, self-generation, but taken against the context of the weakness of the South African economy, the extremely um, high and rising unemployment, you know, 34.9%, and, of course, you know, even much higher for youth unemployment. The deterioration we've seen in many areas of South Africa's factors of production, you know, certainly from a government perspective, and we haven't really seen seen any quick you know, fast, um, strong implementation of infrastructure repair and rebuilding of South Africa's water electricity sector. You know, there's a lot of plans on the table. We do expect to see improvements with the private sector partnerships, certainly with the private sector build of energy in South Africa. But, you know, it, it, there hasn't been enough for us to believe that things have changed. And of course, as you know, we did weaken our trajectory out for five years for economic growth in South Africa because the structural repair has been so slow. I'm worried that we have big political risks risk this year now, of course, with the ANC elective conference and a lot of focus of government's going to be on that. Of course, we've already had some camps send out their sallies and, you know, try to disrupt the political environment, try to obviously create different types of perhaps conversations and support for themselves. And of course, you know, government's going to be fighting that. So I think it's going to be yet another year of difficult politics for South Africa. And of course, you know, no one expects Soram opposer not to remain the president of South Africa. Well, I think many people don't expect him to be removed moved because he's so popular, but I think there's a risk that the NEC starts to move towards the, the left, the more populist policies. So these are all risks that we have for the economy, for the structural change in South Africa needs a repair, if you will. And against the backdrop of that risk then that you've outlined uh, across uh, multiple factors, how will the ratings agencies then be absorbing this and reflecting on it? I think the rating agencies feel slightly more positive about South Africa. And as you know, um, SP didn't have us on a negative outlook, but Fitch did. I think it's a really important point and hasn't seemed to have picked up that much. But anyway, the fact that Fitch removed its negative outlook on South Africa in December. And of course, going into this year now, we're not expected to see credit rating downgrades. It's always been a big risk. It's come on the back of good work done by National Treasury, by the Finance Minister to obviously pull back further projections on debt. And of course, you know, the more we pull them back, the more sustainable government finances are. The reality of the situation, however, is that South Africa's really reached a point where it needs a strong and positive economic growth, much stronger than we have. You know, the 5% plus mark. This has been, I suppose, one of the weaknesses of the um, Sorem Ramaphosa presidency that has potentially been done on purpose to Sorem Ramaphosa and his presidency by the RET forces or the Zuma camp or perhaps whoever you want to term the politics that, that, that line up against the structural reforms that South Africa needs, a stronger growth. And of course, the, the type of economic policies that will bring substantially stronger growth for South Africa, because if that manifests, and of course those factions lose further power as well. So that's, I think, going to be one of their political aims this year, to weaken any possibility of strengthening economic growth through structural reforms. At the same time, pointing to the poverty, to the unemployment, and of course to the results of the fact that the Ramaphosa presidency hasn't been able to bring in all the changes that it needed to to strengthen the economy as well. So I think, you know, these are some of the risks that, that we really face. But of course, you know, if, if, if we do see a quickening of these structural reforms and, of course, more positive business sentiment and we don't go through that destruction that we saw last year in July of the riots again, then hopefully business confidence will start to tick up. Yeah. Problematic, of course, Annabel Bishop, that party politics has such an impact on the future of the economy. 
Yeah, I don't think we can um, underestimate it. Look, I think from a, you did ask about the rating agencies, what they're going to be looking at. And of course, you know, the credit rating agencies will be looking at South Africa's economic growth trajectory. And they obviously will be looking keenly at the budget. And of course, MTBPS later in the year. I think they worry that, you know, we're starting to miss the boat, that, that our unemployment growth is just swelling, that we're having more and more job market entrance entering into a really weak labor market. And of course, the fact that our population growth continues to grow. We've got very rapid growth in the youth sector, the population a very large youth demographic in South Africa. And of course, they worry about um, South Africa continuing to be very slow in the implementation of these policies. So I don't think there's a chance of any credit rating upgrades unless government really manages to turn the corner. It, it is a worry because, you know, if we look at the ease of being, doing business or just what the World Bank really terms, the enabling environment for business and economic growth in South Africa, we continue to remain quite weak. And if we do maybe move up one notch, it's not enough to see a massive sea change to address our issues and problems. And of course, other countries who do bring in better changes to boost economic growth, and that, of course, means boosting the enabling bar to business, they do tend to see better performance. But of course, you know, government does have a lot of policies up its sleeve this year, and of course, now looks to be focusing quite substantially on localization. We saw the ERP come out recently. Let's focus on the Reserve Bank very quickly and how you think it's going to line up in 2022. Late last year, it raised the repo rate for the first time since the start of the pandemic. What's your sense? I mean, further hikes this year, in the, in, certainly in the first six months or not? What's your thinking? Absolutely, Jeremy. I don't think we can escape them. You know, we're looking for at least three interest rate hikes this year. I think the FRA curve is looking for about six and maybe even more. And of course, you know, there's not actually not enough meetings to accommodate the lift in the FRA curve, the forward rate agreement curve money marks are expecting to see, you know, the higher interest rate trajectory in South Africa. So so the reality of the situation is that um, the United States, of course, tightening its interest rates. Quite interesting, um, Jeremy, if you look at the Fed funds implied futures, they've actually been lifting since the start of this year. Yeah. Are starting to actually factor in, or you know, perhaps if you will expect more than three hikes in the United States um, from its interest rate trajectory perspective, and of course even from as early as March. So you know, starting to tend towards the four interest uh, interest rate hike lift. And of course, if we do move into a more rapid United States interest rate hike cycle, then of course there'd be pressure for South Africa to do the same. South Africa, of course, also seeing interest rate hikes further forecast next year by the FRA curve as well. That's led to some currency strength. Um, you know, as as you see, interest rate hikes occur does t- in countries, and certain expectations of them does tend to lead to some strength for the currency, for the rand. And of course, that's also been bolstered by commodity prices. But really, you know, I don't think we're going to move in the direction or certainly achieve what the FRA curve is factoring, and it's going to be too harsh for South Africa. But I do think the risk is for perhaps more than three twenty-five basis point hikes this year. In recent years, the Reserve Bank's actually proved, and of course, not you know last year and the year before with the pandemic, but before that, the Reserve Bank's proved to be. Um, substantially more hawkish than dovish. Just a final one then, Annabelle, just let's close this off. Inflation, are we going to be paying uh, significantly more for goods and services this year? We do every year, Jeremy. You know, inflation obviously is the rate of change of prices. And of course, you know, December now likely to come out at 5.6, 5.7. That's our next inflation print. But of course, and up from 5.5 in November. But of course, you know, looking ahead for the year, much is going to depend on the oil price.
And of course, you know, oil price recently has ticked up quite substantially. There's a worry, obviously, that you know the, the higher the oil price goes, obviously, has a fairly direct feed through into South Africa's inflation. That then pushes up the monthly inflation rate. So the petrol price comes through you know, on the first Wednesday of the month. And of course, any currency weakness then elevates that as well. That's what we saw last year. And that's why we obviously drove to such a significantly higher inflation rate. Looking um, this year, the expectations for it to lower is it for it to come off from its 5, um, 5.5, 5.6% mark, even perhaps 5 0.7 and drop down towards the four and a half percent by the end of the year. You know, we expect inflation will average this year between four and a half and five percent. I think the bigger problems with inflation tend to be in the United States. The inflation probably hasn't peaked, and that of course recently came out at seven percent and could come out even higher in the first quarter. Again, also impacted by commodity prices, inflation, and also impacted by energy prices. And you know, these global supply chain as well, these pressures haven't come to an end. And of course, you know, expectations that we might actually see further increases in transport costs and contracts already showing some price pressures. So I think there are still a lot of inflationary pressures in the system. They're not coming through in the Chinese figures. Chinese actually backing the system and of course seeing interest rate cuts. But for South Africa, I think that, you know, we, we cannot expect to see a year where inflation averages four and a half percent. I think the pressure may well be on the upside. And that succinctly sets the economic scene for 2022. Annabel Bishop, Chief Economist at Investec, as always, thank you very much for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. In just a moment, I'll talk to Investec UK economist Sandra Horsfield about what's in store for the global economy this year. But a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. In the next episode, we'll be focusing on the top investment opportunities in 2022. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. So, Sandra, let me start with this and a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. The global recovery seems now to be continuing apace. Last year, global GDP growth hit 5.5%, albeit off a low base. So the question is, are we still in a rebound phase? And where can we expect high growth due to basic effects? Or are the growth rates now beginning to normalize? We would characterize the current situation as a transition phase. Um, Clearly, we had a phase of very strong growth last year, as you mentioned, 5.5%. That was a phase when we had a lot of the low-hanging fruit of recovery uh, being picked across the major economies as lockdowns have ended and as certain sectors have started to be reopened. Uh, That has allowed activity to resume and strong growth to reward it. Where are we now? Well, probably not quite yet in the new normal, wherever that may be. We're probably more in a phase somewhere between ongoing um, recovery and reaching that sort of more long-term growth trend. Why is that? Partly because we have a couple of hangover effects still with us. We have mismatches in product markets and in labor markets, which means that high inflation is here to stay for a while too. Still, on aggregate, we think we could be looking at 4.5% growth this year. So historically, that's clearly still a strong growth rate. What does the new normal growth look like? Well, our view is that it will ultimately end up being lower. We have much less spare capacity in the labor market. A lot more people are in employment than um, were during the pandemic. And so growth will increasingly have to rely on investment and also receive a lot less support from governments, certainly in the developed economies, uh, than we've had to date. So economies have to stand on their own two feet much more. 
So a relatively stable foundation then is what I'm hearing. What then are the key factors right now at the beginning of 2022 in your global growth forecasts? And also, what are the unknowns? One big supportive factor is that of the consumer. As I mentioned, the labour market recovery has proceeded a long way. So a lot of people are in jobs and receive income from that. On top of that, they have built up large amounts of savings during the pandemic, which has bolstered the balance sheets that uh, households have, which will also act as a cushion against the high inflation that we're seeing at the moment, albeit not for everybody. So a strong base for consumers is really the main part of the story. There's also a rebalancing and consumer demand that is still happening. We had temporarily suppressed services demand that is likely to be coming back. So this rebalancing in demand from goods and services is a key theme at the moment. For companies, the main issue will be the rebuilding of inventories, uh, which had been hampered by supply chain disruptions, etc. during the pandemic. So these are the, the main factors that are shaping the outlook. At the same time, we are dealing with policy support that is being withdrawn. Fiscal policy support in the major developing economies through the pandemic has been very substantive, very important, but also very expensive. So that is slowly starting to be taken away. And of course, we're getting some monetary um, policy tightening in some of the larger central banks as well. The Fed looks like it's heading that way. But we've already seen this in many smaller economies already. As far as the unknowns are concerned, I would highlight clearly COVID is still with us and uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty whether we're dealing with now more of an endemic phase rather than a pandemic phase with hiccups from the odd variant that pops up. But there's still the risk that at some point a new variant could crop up that is vaccine resistant and then all cards would be in the air again. So these sorts of factors are, are important to understand where where things are going from now. We spent a lot of time last year talking about global supply chain disruption, the impact thereof, as far as the global economy is concerned. Any sense of change this year or will that remain? In a nutshell, we'd say these pressures have topped out and are perhaps starting to ease a little bit. How much and how soon, it's very hard to tell uh, because some of this is due to the pandemic itself. So, for instance, you wouldn't necessarily be able to reopen ports if you don't have the staff and the labour to be able to man them because they're taken ill. At the same time, some of it is also to do with the policy response. How tight are the restrictions in place? And, for instance, China is running a very tight zero-COVID policy still, whereby any local outbreaks are stamped on very quickly and very hard. That has an impact on how quickly logistics issues around ports, etc., can be alleviated. But encouragingly, we are seeing some first signs, for instance, in semiconductor production, that the higher prices that we're seeing are triggering supply response, and that perhaps some of these indicators are beginning to ease a little bit. So is it going to switch off very quickly and we'll be back to fully normal? Probably not quite yet. But over the course of this year, we think supply chain issues will become less and less of an issue and less of a less of a restrictive factor. Sandra, inevitably variances in the speed at which different economies claw back or recover is going to be a factor. What do we need to watch out for in that respect? 
You're absolutely right. Uh, the downturn was synchronized, but it was uneven across the economies. And the recovery really has a similar pattern to it as well. We have some economies amongst the big developed markets that are already back at pre-pandemic output levels, for instance, the UK. Others are not there yet. For instance, Germany is still struggling with the supply chain issues, in particular because of the car industry being hit by semiconductor shortages. What's determining the speed of the recovery? Well, partly it's simply the structure of the economy. For instance, a country that is very reliant on foreign tourism will take a lot longer to recover than one that is benefiting from the pharma industry rebound right now. Another factor is how willing governments I'm to impose tighter social restrictions to deal with the virus. Uh, one example was Austria, which was hit very hard by a very clear, sharp lockdown once again. Not everywhere has taken a similar approach to dealing with the Omicron wave that's that's coming. So certainly in the UK, we haven't seen that sort of thing. And that has an impact on how much activity there is and how quickly it comes back. Fundamentally, much will depend on how quickly supply chain issues are fixed and also how much spare capacity there is in the local labor market. Can it be addressed by raising participation quickly? Can it be addressed through increased immigration in, in some of the developed countries? And of course, on how quickly policy support is withdrawn or taking place, which is really in part a question of affordability to the governments. And in conclusion, then, you've touched on a number of issues. Pull all of that together and explain to us how this is going to impact monetary policy. This year, we have already started to see signs that central banks are more worried about the inflation pressures that we're seeing. The concern has been that these disruptions, these hangover effects we talked about earlier in the recovery may be longer lasting than previously feared, and that a monetary policy response may be needed to deal with these. So, we think this year we could see rate rises in the United States, maybe in June, but perhaps uh, possibly even earlier from March or so to deal with the inflation pressures visible there that could leave us with three or possibly even four rate rises in the US this year and also a start to quantitative tightening. So the balance sheet um, being allowed to shrink over time. We're also likely to see further rate rises, uh, for instance, in the UK, where they have already begun. Amongst the other major central banks, the European Central Bank is at the back end of the queue. But even there, we do think asset purchases will be tapered from the spring onwards, with a chance that the timetable is accelerated for this if needed uh, to put the economy in the position to start hiking rates before too long, although probably not uh, during the course of this year. And that's the big global economic picture for 2022. Sandra Horsfield, economist at Investec UK, thank you for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. And lastly, in every episode of No Ordinary Wednesday, we pick a question about the world of money that's been on our listeners' minds, and we'll do our best to answer it. If there's anything that you're dying to know about the world of money, I invite you to go to investec.com forward slash now. That's investec.com forward slash N-O-W, and share your conundrum with us. 
This week, we're going to welcome back Callum McPherson, Head of Commodities at Investec UK, to No Ordinary Wednesday. Callum, a warm welcome. This year, the oil price started the year trading at over $80 a barrel. Despite a pullback in late 2021, that's a big increase compared to last January's opening of $50 a barrel. So what are the key questions then for the oil market this year? Hi, thank you. Well, I think that jet fuel demand is very important because that, that, from a demand point of view, that's the last area, the sector of the barrel, which has got some significant uh, disruption. And uh, here, uh, long-haul demand is particularly important because that's a disproportionate amount of, of, of uh, jet fuel consumption. But of course, it's the more tricky one because um, certainly compared to domestic or even sort of regional flying, um, because of the movement restrictions that have been in place. But of course, we currently have the uncertainty of the Omicron wave, and it appears that this tends to go through countries relatively quickly, and it is not as uh, damaging as, as Delta in terms of the numbers of deaths and serious illness. Um, that's, uh, as I understand, it's been experienced in South Africa. It seems to be the case here in Europe, and perhaps that will be the case elsewhere too. Let's let's hope so. Although one area of concern, though, I think is a, is about China and how how it might affect things there. Let's talk about China then. How how concerned, Callum, are you about Chinese demand this year? The difficulty with China is that they have taken this approach of uh, zero tolerance for COVID and uh, are introducing lockdowns wherever there, there are outbreaks. And, and that seemed to have worked pretty well during, during Delta. Um, but Omicron, of course, is, is much more transmissible and, and cases are starting to, to, to crop up and, and it's being transmitted locally now. The question is whether they can contain Omicron through lockdowns. And if they can't, what then happens? And particularly how effective the Chinese vaccines will be against Omicron. So I, I think that's a risk. And whereas I was just talking about jet fuel demand, and you know, if we get another million barrels per day of demand from, from jet fuel this year, or, or maybe more, that's a kind of 1% of uh, global demand, whereas total Chinese demand is 15% of global demand. So if there's a, if there's a big impact on Chinese demand, I mean, that's, that's going to be a pretty significant shock for the market. So that's the demand side of the equation. What about the supply side? Well, there are probably three things there to, to look at in particular. One is uh, OPEC Plus. Um, OPEC Plus have been increasing output steadily since the summer. And so far, the market has managed to absorb that. There was a bit of a worry about Omicron and whether that would lead to an immediate problem. But uh, so far, it hasn't. But the question may later in the year, if providing we don't have any demand side shock, and if, in fact, if demand continues to, to recover. question later in the year might be whether OPEC plus members are actually able to deliver as much crude as their output increases would require. We know that Saudi Arabia has got a lot of spare capacity, um, but other OPEC plus members don't. And so that, that's certainly a question for, for later in the year. Then another one is US supply growth. I and mean, again, people are expecting a lot of uh, an, an increase in, in US supply, particularly coming from shale. Shale has uh, obviously had a very difficult period over COVID, and it's, uh, the shale producers are now being much more uh, careful with their, their drilling and money than they used to be. And a lot of the production in the US has been very heavily underpinned by a large stock of drilling that was done before the pandemic started, where wells were drilled, but not put into, and hence the investments literally sunk, but were not put into production. 
And those are now being put into production, which is nice and cheap uh, to do, but obviously that can only go on for so long. So there isn't that much fresh drilling being done. That does bring some question marks over longer term growth. And the other thing is Iran. It, it always looks very, very tricky, those discussions. It, 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 it looks like they're not going to go anywhere, but maybe they will make some progress at some point this year. And that could bring another million barrels per day of extra production into the market if, if, that's, if they are ultimately successful. And just a final question then, how will speculators influence the market? Well, you'd think, given the rally we've had in recent times, that uh, speculators would be quite long, i.e. They, they own a lot of oil in the futures market and so on. But actually, that's not the case. The speculative long positions are lower now than they were in, in October, which is where we had the high of last year. And actually, the market went slightly above that high. Uh, today, uh, and they're significantly less than the long positions we saw in 2018, which is this previous high. So that historic comparison suggests that that there's a lot of room potentially for speculators to increase their long positions um, if market momentum gets behind oil going higher. And I think in Brent terms, that the levels we're trading at are the, the sort of 86, 70 area are pretty significant because that, that, that's the high we saw in 2018. It's the high we saw in October. And uh, if we break through that, there's not a lot from a technical point of view between there and frankly, much higher levels going back to 2014 when we saw Brent over, over $100 per barrel. And that's where we are going to leave it. And I'm going to thank Callum McPherson, Head of Commodities at Investec UK, for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Thank you. Please join us again on the 2nd of February as we look ahead to investment trends for the year and where smart people are putting their money to work in the year ahead. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio Essay wherever you get your podcasts and please hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.